So as you are passing those ballots, uh, there's one more uh, few moments that I want to take as far as some family business, and I'm going to take about five minutes, and that's it, and then we're going to actually jump into Acts chapter 11 today, talk a little bit about who we are and where God's leading us in this next year. But one of the things that's important to do when we start, start the year is to kind of take a quick peek back uh, financially, so to give you a brief financial summary of what's happened over this last year. Now, some people, are, you come to church and like, really, you're going to show figures and Don't worry, it's really basic and really simple and really easy to understand, and it's really amazing what God has been doing through your faithfulness, and so I wanted to share this with you this morning. So just two simple charts that kind of give you a snapshot of where where we are as a church financially over this last year. So the first one is going up on the screen right now. You can take a look. This is our income. I want to just take a couple moments to talk about this and and what you're seeing on the screen. So let me just look at the the chart first, and I'll mention the numbers up front here in in just a moment. So there's three pieces of the pie for our income. The the 4% is right-size income, giving. And what right-size is, if you haven't been here, right-size was the process of us purchasing the building, renovating the building, and moving over here this last year. So that amount is smaller because our giving to right-size obviously decreased as the project was being completed, so that's why it's 4%. The 21% income, this is what's pretty cool, is that moving into this building, it's why this is a total God thing, it makes it possible, we get $10,000 worth of rental income every month from our tenant next door because we own the whole building. That offsets our building costs. And I didn't mention this first service, but I think many of you know that it costs us out of pocket $2,700 a month to buy this building. It costs us $21,000 a month to lease the building at Shasta. So it's been amazing turnaround. The biggest piece of that pie, obviously, is giving and missions. And that is when you give to your regular tithes and offerings, or you give to Haiti, or you give to whatever, you give something locally through the church, that's what, that's represented, and that's obviously 75% of our, our total income, but the cool thing about that is the number up at the top, if you can see that giving and missions increase over the last year from, from 2014 to 2015 was $80,311, now why is that number so significant? Obviously, it's positive, But we just went through a building program, and when you go through a building program, you never see an increase in your missions and giving. You just don't do that. That is a testament to your faithfulness to continue to give over this period of time, not just redirect your tithe to the building, but actually give to the building process and give to what God is doing through the church. I want to say thank you. Our church council says thank you to you. Our staff says thank you to you for your faithfulness. Just so you know, that doesn't happen. Normally, that is a big red number after you go through what we went through, but it's in the positive. So now if the next, uh, just simply want to look at our, our expenses for, for the year, and this is real important to see kind of where does the money go. So there's obviously some accountability. So you can see, let me just go through this. So right size, uh, again, about 15% uh, of our expense because a lot of that expense came out even the year before, but we've been going along in the process, and that was to finish off the project. Um, personnel expense, you think, well, what do we need to talk about that for? Well, it's 31% this year. Last year's 33%. We hired new staff, and we've reduced our personnel costs as far as a percentage of overall budget, which is pretty good. Our denomination, Foursquare, requires us to keep it under 40, as that's the target, so we're well under 40, which is really amazing. And then the facility, this is, I know I get a little excited about this, but the facility is pretty cool because the facility number is 28% of our total budget. That is down 7% from the year before because it costs us far less to be in this building. We are, we are bleeding less money to our facility and investing more f- money into missions and discipleship, which is what our church should be about. And so that, that's amazing. 
And then our mission, our administration cost is the same as it was the previous year. But the, the most important piece on there is discipleship and mission expense. So you see 22%. Last year, 17%. We're up 5%. That's amazing. We're, why? Because eventually the goal is that piece of the pie should be 51%. That means the majority of money that we give goes out to invest in discipleship and mission. That's the goal. And each year, we're going to hopefully incrementally move towards that so that we're, we're not spending money on buildings and maintenance and all those things. We're actually investing into God's kingdom as he expands it in our city and around the world. So that's, I'm excited. That's the one that excites me the most because it shows that our finances are headed in the right direction. So, and part of that is you need to understand we have an amazing church council and amazing staff that is able to keep us within budget when we spend money. We're really careful with how we spend money because we want to make sure that we're aligning ourselves with how can we invest, not just spend what we get on ourselves. So thank you for your faithfulness and thank you for continuing giving because God is continuing to work in our lives and we get to be a part of this. And so I just, again, say thank you to you for your faithful giving. So you get that little snapshot there, all right? So that was like four minutes, right? Right there, I did it quick. So if you have your Bibles, let's go ahead and jump into Acts chapter 11 this morning. What I'm going to do this morning, again, along the lines of kind of family businesses, I want to take some, some time uh, today to just, again, walk through as a reminder to us who God has called us to be. Because before we can even, even define what next year looks like or the year coming ahead looks like, we have to remember who we are. Because if we forget who we are, we'll end up doing the wrong thing. Everything of who God, what God does in us comes out of a sense of identity of who he's called us to be. And that's not only true at in an individual level, that's true for us as a church family. And so this morning, I want to take some time to, to walk through uh, a passage that's going to be familiar to, in, at, to you in Acts chapter 11. But before we do that, I just I want you to, to kind of capture where we are as a church. So I've been here for coming up three years. And in the last three years, we've been using a term to describe a lot of what's been happening that is true, but not altogether true. It's the word change. Anybody heard that word once or twice in the last three years? And so we've looked around and think, well, everything's changing. But I think there's actually a more accurate term that describes what we've experienced in the last three years. It's the word transition. See, transition is the journey to get to change. Some things change in transition, but transition is not true change. Transition is just the journey to get there. See, the, 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 the good and the bad is, some of you are thinking, wow, really, that wasn't change? <laughs> what was that? It was transition. The good thing is, is that that means that God is positioning us to be who he wants us to be. But the difficulty is change is always harder than transition. Because in transition, everything's kind of up in the air. Everything's just kind of flowing along. But then change hits, and that's where sacrifice and compromise and letting go of something and embracing something else happens. I, when we moved from California to Oregon, I was excited about what I would say was the change. But I realized I was excited about the transition. Because after months of planning and moving and getting settled in into Oregon, I realized this is now change because I am a Californian living in Oregon and I can't live like a Californian lives. I have to live like an Oregonian. And I remember within like the first two weeks when we woke up one morning, I heard Kim scream in the bedroom. And I thought, oh my gosh, what happened to her? And I ran and she's standing at the window screaming, it's snowing, it's snowing. And we had never seen snow at our house in our lives. You don't see that in Southern California. You go up to the mountains. And we were the crazy Californians that ran outside <laughs> and the kids in their, and their pajamas playing in snow. They're like, oh man, there goes the neighborhood. The Californians moved in. But we are now in the midst of change. I realized 
People raise their own food in Oregon. They actually name their cows, shoot them, and eat them. We don't do that as much in California. And so we realize we're in a whole different world, and now this is not just transition. This is not the journey to change. This is change. And that's where we're at as a church in this season now. Now you thought everything changed before or was different. Now we're at the place where it's really going to, we're going to have to embrace it. And that's why it's so important as we head into 2016 that we remember who we are. Because God doesn't give any of us a roadmap. He gives us a compass. He said, this is where you're going. This is the direction. Because if he gave us the roadmap, we don't need any faith. If he gives us the GPS that says, turn right, turn left, go this direction, we don't need any faith. But if he gives us a compass, we have to rely on him for every step that we take. And that's where we're going this year. And that's why I want us to go back to something that's probably familiar to many of you. And that is to understand our identity. Who we are and what God has called us to do. Now, as we go through Acts chapter 11, this is the foundation of the original church called Antioch, at Antioch, that now has become the identity that God has given us. And so I want us to revisit this again and what it means for us. So if you have your Bibles, let me start at verse 19 of Acts 11. I'll read down to verse 30. It says, Now those who had been scattered by the persecution that broke out when Stephen was killed traveled as far as Phoenicia, Cyprus, and Antioch, spreading the word among, only among Jews. Some of them, however, men from Cyprus and Cyrene, went to Antioch and began to speak to Greeks also, telling them the good news about the Lord Jesus. The Lord's hand was with them, and a great number of people believed and turned to the Lord. News of this reached the church in Jerusalem, and they sent Barnabas to Antioch. When he arrived and saw the grace of God, what the grace of God had done, he was glad and encouraged them all to remain true to the Lord with all their hearts. He was a good man, full of the Holy Spirit and faith, and a great number of people were brought to the Lord. Then Barnabas went to Tarsus to find Saul, and when he found him, he brought him to Antioch. So for a whole year, Barnabas and Saul met with the church and taught great numbers of people. The disciples were called Christians first at Antioch. During this time, some prophets came down from Jerusalem to Antioch. One of them, named Agabus, stood up and through the Spirit predicted that a severe famine would spread over the entire Roman world. This happened during the reign of Claudius. The disciples, as each one was able, decided to provide help for the brothers and sisters living in Judea. This they did, sending their gift to the elders by Barnabas and Saul. Now, in that is, for us as a church, what God has given us is the snapshot or the blueprint of what he's calling us to be. And there's four key things, and these should be familiar to you if you've been a part of the church, but if you haven't, this will be new to you, of who God has called us to be. And in this, there's the tension of an identity that God has given us with who we currently are and what we are becoming. Because when we're having an identity, we're always coming into who we are. It doesn't mean that we've all arrived, but there's this identity. God says, this is who you are and who you are supposed to be. So we are, we are becoming. And in the process, in this journey that God's leading us to, that this becomes more and more definitive of who we are as a church family. So four things that were true of the church in Antioch that are true of us today, or does we desire to be true. The first one is this. We are driven by mission. So the first church at Antioch, this beautiful thing happens. It's not so beautiful for Stephen, who actually gets stoned at the hands of the religious leaders, but it caused such fear amongst current believers that they scattered, and they, some of them dispersed, and they ran for their lives. But the cool thing about Christians who run for their lives, they can't shut up about the gospel when they do it. So they get to Antioch, and they're telling people about Jesus and all of what's happened. And so the result is that this church gets birthed out of mission. That they were like unintentional missionaries sent by persecution. Now they're reaching people who have never heard about Jesus. So they're formed and birthed in mission. 
But because that's part of their DNA, as the story goes on, that the church at Antioch becomes one of the primary avenues that Paul uses as his launching point for all three of his major missionary journeys. So they're a church that's birthed in mission, and they're a church that sends in mission. It's about who they are. It's, it's what drives them. Now, I've been here for three years, but this, this church historically goes way beyond me. And when it was first started, it was birthed in mission to reach our city. And although everything else has changed, that doesn't change. Because that's the heart of every church. That's the purpose of every church underneath the surface. A couple of key things to be reminded in terms of understanding what it means to be driven by mission. There's a couple of phrases that you've heard a few times, and one of them is this, is to be reminded, God's church does not have a mission. God's mission has a church. And we need that distinction because we make it all about church when God says it's all about mission. Mission came first, then the church. If we keep that in perspective, then it isn't about really the church. It's about God's mission because the church is God's people on mission. And that distinction is important. second thing to remember is the primary activity of God is not in the church, but in the world. That doesn't mean that God doesn't move when we gather and amongst us. He does all the time. But his primary activity is outside the doors of this building. It's in our neighborhoods, in our families, in our schools, in our jobs. That's where his primary activity is. And we'll talk about that in just, just a few moments. But mission, mission is something that's shaped us even more and more. If you're in a community group, you know that that's a huge element of who we are in our community groups is serving together in mission. Some do laundry love, some will go to a senior center and, and care for those who are elderly, and, and, and that's expanding this year to other things. It's not just laundry love or going to a senior care center. But thinking about mission, reaching outside of ourselves, caring for the needs of people, building a relationship, it's happening around us. We partner with the Dream Center in Los Angeles. Every single month, a group of people from our church goes down to Skid Row and serves. You'll hear more about that and how we can actually help put some kits together to care for the needs of people on Skid Row. And then as well, there's this expanding desire for adopt-a-block in our city. How do we adopt an apartment complex or a neighborhood that is in need in our city? Obviously, Haiti and Peru and Brazil this year is going to happen. And so it's these opportunities, these avenues, what to be involved in mission. It's a part of who we are. It's what makes us who God has called us to be. And then the second thing, not only are we driven by mission, but the second thing is that we are marked by generosity. So the first church at Antioch, so... The believers, the brothers and sisters, says they hear that there's this severe famine, and that means that there's people who are suffering. There's other brothers and sisters in Christ who are suffering. So instead of saying, you know what, we'll pray for them, they did that. But then they gave. They saw the need that was there, and they responded at a personal level, a sacrificial level, to care for the needs of somebody else beyond themselves. At the, at the core, they were showing generosity. That's the part of of who God's called us to be that we're, we're experiencing. And that's what, when you see the financial numbers, you see that that's true, and that's always been true. And the opportunities that God gives to us, that the bigger piece of the pie becomes discipleship and mission, which is money that goes out of here, that is invested in what God is doing. But currently, if you're not aware, we give to the Samaritan Center every single month. We give to CPC, which is the Community Pregnancy Clinic. We invest in that. We give to Connect Two in Haiti. Every person involved in Laundry Love in our church gives you 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 got to put money into that to care for people and, and pay for their laundry 
uh, as well, we obviously you've given to support what goes on in missions trips and things like that. Apollo High School with the gift cards every year. I can't tell you we, the response we get back from Apollo High School about what a huge blessing it is when we give gift cards to them. All the opportunities, giving to other churches, giving to other leaders. We invested in two churches while we were in the middle of our building program to invest in their building program. Because of your generosity, that's just the nature of what God has said. This is who you're supposed to be. You know what's amazing? In, in, my, in my experience as a pastor, not only our church, I've discovered that when the church gives, like when the church council responds to a need and gives over what's in the budget to things, it's like the giving always seems to increase. God can sin, continues to do what he's going to do. He always resources. He just, you can't outgive him. Why? Because it's about his mission. It's about his purpose. It's res- resourcing what he's doing. I know I'm going pretty fast. I'm a little excited, but I want to make sure I get it all in. Third thing is that we are and we are becoming the tangible presence of Jesus. The first church in Antioch is the first time the term Christian was ever used. Now, some will debate that that was used as a derogatory comment towards Christians. Others would say there's no evidence of that. Regardless, the church at Antioch, there was something so true of those early followers that they somehow, without saying it, were identified with Jesus. And so when they would think of Jesus, they were thinking of this church, and they would call them Christians, which is like little Christ. It's the identification that this idea that they're just like Jesus. Whether they like Jesus or not, they represented Jesus in their culture. That, that idea is called incarnation. It is allowing God's presence to be evident in our lives. It's the very thing that Jesus did, and being the God of the universe came in human flesh and was incarnate, was present as human to demonstrate and show to us what God is like. In fact, John writes this in John 1 verse 14. It says, The Word became flesh and made His dwelling among us. And then Eugene Peterson's paraphrase, he says, The word became flesh and blood and moved into the neighborhood. God has called us to be a church that is in its community. And the church is not this building, this service, this pastor, or its leadership. The church is us. And the church is not defined by what we do on Sunday morning. The church is defined by how we live our lives the rest of the week. And it's being involved in our lives in such a way that we live so that people look at us and they think something is different in a positive way about them. Something in them is different than what is in me. And it makes them curious. Why? Because we become that representation. We aren't Jesus, but we do represent him. And that's what, what God's called us to be is that, that incarnation, being a part of our neighborhoods, understanding the city that we live in, building relationship with people all around us, And this is so important because we live in one of the more isolated cities in the Southern California area. We love our automatic garage doors, don't we? You come home from work at night, you hit that button, you get in and you shut it as fast as you can. I worked all day, I'm tired, I just want to be left alone. And meanwhile, your entire neighborhood is just outside your door. That's what God's called us to be is to be his presence. And we're seeing that happen more and more and more. I could give you story after story of the laundry loves and what's happening in laundry love right now, of all these relationships that are starting in a laundromat and then are extending way beyond that. I know in our group, in our community group, we've been in a laundromat for for this last seven, eight months, and we've seen relationships build. And now people within our community group are having coffee with people from the, the laundromat. We're helping meet needs of people who need gas money or whatever it is. There's this relationship building. It all starts in this laundromat. 
I can tell you other stories of people who are doing things in their home just to invite neighbors over, just for the excuse to get their neighbors to come to their house. And it's happening, and there's this relationship building. You just start discovering, you don't even know who you live next to until you get to know them. There's people everywhere that God's called us to be a part of. I would love to see our church change the trend of our city, that this is not a city defined by, defined by automatic garage doors. It's a city that's defined by front porches where we live out in front of people, that we connect and we build relationship with people. We don't get stuck in our house and hide from the world, but we live amongst the world that God's called us to reach. And then the fourth thing, the fourth thing is that God has called us to reflect the diversity of the world. So the first church in Antioch, beautiful thing happens. Up until that point, intentionally, really, because the way the Jews were wired, only Jews were hearing the gospel. And then out of persecution and mission, what happens is now... Gentiles, Greeks, non-Jews are hearing the gospel. And that Gentile category kind of includes a lot of different people groups. And so for the first time, you're getting this expansion of the gospel to people of different ethnicity and different language and different culture. And it happens at Antioch so that the church now becomes this beautiful kaleidoscope of color before God. That happens at Antioch. That should be happening in our lives and in our church. Our city, whether we like it or not, is becoming more and more diverse. We live in Southern California, which is the most diverse place on the face of the earth. There are more people groups represented, especially in L.A. County, which, by the way, is just a couple miles that way, than any other place. More people groups. And we live in the middle of it. And our city, I love it. Please forgive me if you're not the one that does. Then God needs, you get, need to get saved because God loves people of different culture and different skin color and different language. And I would love for our city to become less vanilla. I know, I am vanilla. I can say that, okay? And it's happening. Because I'll share in a moment why that's so significant. But that means that we have to discover what's going on in our city. Obviously, we have a high Latino population in our city. But you know we have an ever-increasing Chinese population, Indian population, Pakistani population. Those areas are growing, and other ones too. Isn't that wonderful? We're all afraid of immigration. Just a second. Do you think God's bigger than ISIS? Do you really think he's bigger than ISIS? Because one of the things that people are discovering is that God is using the immigration that's happening globally to get people who are locked in nations that don't have access to the gospel into nations that do. There are people being saved all over the place because they had to leave where it's Syria, Iraq, places where the Iraq or Iran, they can't, they can't hear the gospel because you can literally you put your life online. But you become a refugee, and guess what? Somebody you bump into knows Jesus. It's a beautiful thing. Don't be afraid of it. Yeah, is there bad stuff happening? I understand that. But God is at work. He's stirring the globe. He's using the insanity of mankind to save people. And it's happening. I'm sorry, I'm getting a little excited here, okay? And I just got to tell you, too, that you know, many, most of you know we have a Spanish congregation that, that we share space with, that they lease from us. Did you know that they're rapidly growing, and before you know it, they may be bigger than we are? Come here on a Sunday night around 6 o'clock. They get about 300 people in this room. We would be freaking out if we had 300 people in this room. They're dancing. They're worshiping. I love it. All the classrooms are jam-packed with kids. It's one of the battles that we have. We come in and we're cold in the morning, so we turn the heaters on. By the time they get here and they're all going, they're turning the air conditioners on because it's so packed with people. I love it. This is who God's called us to be. So navigating, what does that look like in our relationships? And we'll, we'll talk about that in just a moment. 
So what, is that, what does that mean? What has God called us to do? So that's the identity he's giving us that we're becoming, but what are we supposed to do with that? Well, God has always told us through the scriptures what our role is and what he's doing in his mission. And if you want a detailed mission statement, here it is. Don't, I don't say this all the time. There's a simple way to understand it, but here it is. Ready? It's going to be on the screens. Our mission as a church, we exist to join God in the reconciliation of all things back to him through Jesus by making disciples like Jesus so that people from all nations worship Jesus. Easiest way to understand what we're about. With Jesus, like Jesus, for Jesus. That's it. It's not complicated. It's about reconciliation, discipleship, and worship. That is what God has called us to do. What does that mean? Let me just look at those things briefly. And you should have, if you're part of the church, these are somewhat familiar to you. But just as a reminder who we are. Reconciliation, the first concept of what God has commissioned us to do. Let me read a couple passages of Scripture. Colossians 1, verses 19 and 20. Paul writes, For God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in him, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether things on earth or things in heaven, by making peace through his blood shed on the cross. And Paul goes on in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verses 17 and 18. He says, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come, the old is gone, the new is here. All this is from God who is reconciling us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. If you want to know the one reason humanity is currently existing, why, if you're a believer, why Jesus has not returned yet, it's because of reconciliation. God is reconciling everything, every human being, all of creation, back to himself through Jesus. Every ounce of who we are as human beings is being reconciled back into relationship with God. Why are we still here? Because God is graciously patient for the church to continue to wake up to his mission to see more people reconciled back to God. This is not about the four spiritual laws or having just the right phrasing to tell somebody how they can come to Jesus. It's a relational issue. The conversation with our culture right now is that every single one of us is broken relationally with God and each other. And that's the root cause of everything. We deal with behavior. This is not about behavior. It's about a broken relationship with God. And if we don't start there, it doesn't matter how good we are at modifying behavior, you still have a broken person inside. So the conversation with someone who doesn't know Jesus is not, hey, change the way you live your life. Stop doing that bad activity. It's like, no, I can resonate with the fact that I'm broken too. But I have a reconciler who's making me whole, who's redeeming every part of who I am, who's forgiving every ounce of my sin, who's taking care of every part of brokenness and making me whole. And he can do the same thing for you. See, that's what we're called to be, what we're called to experience. We need to understand the culture that we in, we're in. Just a side note, one of the things that we're going to probably do in about five, five or six weeks is I'm going to take a good block of time, probably four weeks, and talk about sexuality. It's a concept that we don't talk about in the church, and that's why we're in the trouble that we're in. We don't even know how to talk about sexuality in our culture. We don't even understand the culture that we're in. We have our mindset, but we don't understand even, we're talking different languages, and we have to be able to navigate that language. Why? Because it's the culture, and it's the struggle that the culture, just as in the church, the culture struggles with that too. But it's understanding where we live. Second thing is discipleship. Like Jesus. Probably one of the most famous passages in the Bible in Matthew 28, verses 18 to 20. It says, Then Jesus came to them and said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit, 
teaching them to obey everything I've commanded you, and surely I am always with you to the v- very end of the age. The Great Commission, that's what we call it. One of the, some of the Jesus' last words was what? Go make disciples. And I think probably the best definition for what a disciple should be or discipleship is actually found in 1 John 2, verses 5 and 6. John writes, If anyone obeys his word, love for God is truly made complete in them. This is how we know we are in him. Whoever claims to live in him must live as Jesus did. We should look like Jesus. We should reflect what he is all about. That's what a true disciple does. And that's why things like community groups, that is the primary avenue of discipleship in our church where you have, a, you have a context of care around you for people to pray for you, encourage you, and challenge you. You have a place where you can digest the scriptures together. You have a place where you're serving in mission together. If you're not in a community group and Antioch is your church home, you are missing out on the majority of who we are. It is so important to be a part of a community group. In fact, there's four more groups starting this month and more coming after that. I encourage you, find your way into a group. Also, understanding that the process of discipleship comes through understanding what Jesus means when he says disciple. That's why we have these things called discipleship essential classes. We've, we've already done DE1 a couple of times. We've had a number of people go through that. We'll have DE2. So DE1 is about the life of a disciple. DE2 is about the mission of Jesus. And so what we're doing is going through the main teachings in the book of Matthew and saying, Jesus, what did you say to us? Not what is Pastor John saying, but what is Jesus saying about what it means to follow him? So those of you who have gone through DE1, you qualify to go through DE2 in February. You'll have more information. Those of you who haven't gone to DE1 yet, it'll be offered coming up this next month. And then the final part of, of what God's commission is to do is worship. It's for Jesus. Our life is all about who he is. So listen to Revelation chapter 7, verse 9 and 10. Here you go. Here's the finish line. This is where all of human history is going towards. It says, After this I looked, and there before me was a great multitude that no one could count, from every nation, tribe, people, and language, standing before the throne and before the Lamb. They were wearing white robes and were holding palm branches in their hands, and they cried out in a loud voice, Salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. What is happening there? It's worship. It's everyone gathered in one place, giving their full heart, attention, passion, everything of who they are, to who? Jesus, the Lamb who sits on the throne. Some of you are like, really? That's what we're going to do forever? I get wiped out after 30 minutes on a Sunday morning. You're going to have to help me out. No, think about this. See, See, if your definition of worship is what we just did about 20, 30 minutes ago, then you don't know what worship is. Worship is our life. It's my posture that's always attuned and pointed to what Jesus is doing. It's the way I love my wife and care for my kids and the way I do my job and the way I relate to my neighbors. That's worship. But that means in, in, in eternity, it's all of us together. And I love this passage in Revelation 7 because what is included? Every nation, every tribe, every language, every people. That means, and you're standing there worshiping Jesus, and you're saying, you know, he's the one that's worthy on the throne. Most likely, the person standing to your right or left is not speaking English. They're probably speaking Mandarin, okay, if we're going to figure out percentages. But it's going to be all these languages that all somehow make sense. That's what happened in Acts chapter 2. People got filled with the Holy Spirit. They started speaking languages that other people understood. And it says people heard the praises of God in their own language. It's crazy. It's amazing. But that's what it's about. 
So understanding, that's what God's commissioned us to do. There's just a couple more things in the worship team will join us. I'll move quickly. But I get, I'm going to answer this question. I know this is kind of a, a logistic question, but I get so asked so many times, how do I get involved? How do I get plugged in in Antioch? Okay, this is not a sales pitch. This is just the process. In fact, if you've gone through a line, you've seen this. So what's the front door of our church? It's the Align Seminar. It's a three-hour thing that's coming up on the 25th of this month that gives you not, not a membership class. It is an orientation to the gospel, and there out of that, how do we understand how that shapes who we are as a church? There is no document at the end that you sign that we bring back at a later date to hold over you with guilt and shame and say you fulfill these things. It's not there. Because the worst thing we can do is get someone to make a commitment to be a member in the church and never know Jesus and never understand the gospel. And that's why we don't have official membership. I want to get people to Jesus. That's the goal. So Align's the front door. So if you haven't been through Align and this is your church home, I strongly encourage you to do it. It's, it's only three hours. It includes dinner. Child care is provided, but you need to sign up for that to make sure that we know you're coming. Second thing is community groups. Is I know a lot of you have been here a lot longer than me, and you're like, ah, small groups in another form. I get it. Done that before. Yeah, there's an element of small group to community group, but it's a whole lot more. Because it has to do with, you cannot be a disciple of Jesus if all you do is study the Bible and pray for each other. Think, wait a second, you can't? Nope. Read through the book of Acts. There was always an ultimate outcome of a disciple. You know what it was? Mission. That's why community groups, you do pray, you do care for people, you do study the scriptures, but then you go and you serve your community. Because that, is, that contributes to as much growth as your Bible study and your prayer. Because now you're actually having to live this thing out. And it causes you to risk. So community groups, and I mentioned they're coming. LTGs, life transformation groups, are also smaller groups that are geared for male, female, single gender groups that are intensive accountability. Also, we've talked about just mission and, and then the discipleship essential classes. I encourage, I love all of our church by the next four or five years to have all gone through all four of those classes. Because then I know as a pastor, I can rest well at night to know that I have given you the words of Jesus. I've given you the words of Jesus, and now how are we going to live our lives according to what Jesus has said? And then ministries from there, and then ultimately, what is the goal? With Jesus, like Jesus, for Jesus. So I want to close with this. In fact, worship team, you can come and join me up here. And as they are getting in a position, I'm going to ask you to reflect on a few questions. But before I do that, I want you to understand something that's so important that we, we have a tendency to miss. I say this over and over and over again, and I'm hoping this will sink in. Maybe we should change some of our language. The word church, the term church, is not defined by this building, this address, this service. It's not defined by leadership. It's not even defined by our name. Church is defined by all of us. Because the church is people. And so to understand that means that if I am a part of Antioch, I am the church, then what God has said to our church family isn't just for a few people, isn't for the leadership, isn't for the people who have the gifts and the skills that I think I don't have. It's for all of us. And here's why it's so important. And this is where I think God is working in us and he's working in his church globally to understand. In our current climate, in our culture, particularly in our nation, we are far more effective scattered than we are gathered. What do I mean by that? Historically, we would try to get people into a building, get them to a crusade, which is not bad. Get somebody to preach the gospel. 
give an altar call, have them come to the front, have them pray a prayer. Now, that was effective in some regards. That wasn't discipleship, that was evangelism. In our culture, that has less and less impact. But what has more impact, instead of being one in a building, is being three or four hundred in our community. That's multiplied over and over and over again. I can never get into your job. I can never weasel my way into your family. I can't get into your school all the time. I'm not supposed to. You are. Because the same spirit lives in you that lives in all the other believers. And you are fully equipped to be the representation of Jesus in your place. And if we wake up to that reality, we will see so many people come to Jesus that hadn't even set foot in a church yet. But they end up coming to church. Why? Because believers end up going to church. But we get it backwards. What if they've met Jesus first and thought, wow, I guess I should go to church. That's the way it's supposed to happen. And that's why with this, I'm going to ask you to close your eyes because I want you to ask these questions of yourself today. And then I want you to ask these questions for the rest of the year. First one is this. Am I experiencing a deeper relationship with Jesus? What I mean by that is if you take a quick snapshot of where you were a year ago, and then you look at where you are today, are there more areas of your life where you have seen the reconciliation of God through Jesus touch your life? Are there areas of brokenness that are no longer deep wounds in your life? Are there areas of habitual sin that have now started to lose their grip on your life? Are things that you do now that you never would have thought you could have done before? Those are the questions that we have to come into to really grapple with. Am I deeper in love with Jesus than I was before? Second question. Am I living a life that looks more like Jesus every day? In other words, am I becoming a disciple? Are there things in my life that are now causing people to ask more questions about who I follow, what my life is about, what makes me tick? Are there things that I do that really resonate with who Jesus is more than what I was before? And then that third question. Am I reflecting a life that is pointing to Jesus? When people encounter me, when people see me, when they get to know me, are they asking the question? Are they seeing that there's something greater, someone greater than I am that they're wanting to know about? Am I allowing the honor of who Jesus is to touch every aspect of my life? Lord Jesus, as we reflect on these questions, as we ask ourselves this today, we know these are the things that are supposed to be true of us. Antioch Church, disciples of you, believers, Christians, and I pray that you would give us the courage and you would give us the power of your Holy Spirit who dwells in us to allow these things to become true of us this year for the sake of our city, for the sake of the world, and ultimately for your name's sake, Jesus. This is about you. So let everything that we do be about you. Prepare our hearts, give us courage, and give us strength for what you have for us in the year to come. In Jesus' name.